This is a CNIB Foundation podcast. Kevin Shaw here for the Venture Zone podcast. Welcome, welcome. And uh, if you're joining us from, I don't know, wherever you're listening to this, but uh, glad you could join us today in studio with me. I have uh, Yvonne Felix. I don't have Jacqueline Gilmore because she is off dancing through a forest. So, uh, Yvonne, welcome. Hi. Hey. Uh, what do you do here at CNIB? Because you work here and you're like an artist and you do all kinds of crazy art stuff and business and technology. What what do you what is what do you do here? Uh, so a little bit of everything. Uh, so I'm the central lead for technology and innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say what that means is I get the message out to the community and keep my finger on the pulse of what's happening in the technology space. Right. And I try to think outside of the box. Well, I don't have to try. I think outside of the box. So anytime there's a a problem that I see that, you know, I see it from a 30,000-foot view, um, I look for problems. Some people say that's uh, a negative approach to life. Um, but if I'm not irritated, agitated, or uh, in constant, uh, having a constant flow of uh, cortisol in my system, I'm not breathing. That's a very far cry from being an artist. Uh, how did how did the whole art thing start for you? Well, I would say it started when I was about four. Uh, so apparently, I would draw on everything. Basically, I would draw on books. I draw on clothes. I draw on walls. I draw on people, cupboards. Everything was an opportunity for me. And uh, that's probably where that entrepreneurial spirit came from, Mm -hmm. was always looking for the next opportunity. Everything is a blank canvas. So my mom actually gave me a space in the house on a wall and said, in this spot on the wall, you may draw. You may draw only here. I don't think that lasted very long. But I think she recognized from the beginning that I wasn't someone that you could stop, but I was someone you could probably give direction to. So I remember that turned into collecting garbage, broken things around the house, turning them into presents for people, uh, and just always keeping huh. my eye out and you know trying to find ways to take things that you know nobody wanted and turn them into something beautiful. Now uh, you're. You're part of the community, the, the site loss community. Um, uh, maybe talk a little bit about your your site condition and and what you have, and uh, how how did that translate, um, or how did that how did that lend itself to your art? So uh, I'll start with uh, what gives me my membership card, I guess. Your membership yeah. card. <laughs> so I have Star Guards, and I so. Stargarts is a juvenile form of macular degeneration. So hold up two fists, two centimeters in front of your face, where your eyes are. That is how much central vision I have missing. In the peripheral, wow. I, yeah, I don't have access to seeing color. I don't, you know, I don't see detail. And everything just kind of looks like shape shadows. Um, I need the lights on for sure. And everything kind of looks blurry. 
I don't really read, don't really write. I never really learned how to do those things. Um, words kind of look like I'm playing Tetris when I try to read. So if I use a CCTV or something like that, like it just looks like Lego blocks all stuck together. So I'm, I think how that impacted my artistic practice was I don't feel like I ever really lived in reality. Right. <laughs> like I feel like I've always been in this plane where, like this plane of existence where, you know what, if I want a unicorn, I'm going to make it happen. So it's the aesthetic of my work as an adult. I would say I've always had to draw upon myself as a resource and myself as my own inspiration because when people would describe the world to me, it was always from, it doesn't look like that. That's not what color it is. Mm. Um, so it was always, it was almost like negative reinforcement constantly. Sure. And I, I think my motivation to be an artist was that I just wanted to prove people wrong, that there was nothing wrong with me. I was actually pretty comfortable with who I was. And I, I don't know, you're not going to tell me what things look like because that's not my reality. So you're, you've got uh, – you had Stargarts, you start drawing on walls, you're, you're drawing all over the house, you're making art and all this stuff. Uh, one of the things that people don't know is that um, you've actually been able to combine these two things into a necklace or a, a – what do you call it? Is it a necklace or is it a charm? It's a, it's a pendant. It's a pendant. Yeah. Um, I don't know jewelry terms. Sorry, um, I don't know either. Okay, what what is it? First of all, what does it look like? Uh, so it's actually a rend- an artistic rendition of my blind spot. So sort of that analogy I gave you of holding up the two fists mm-hmm. to your face. Uh, so from what I've heard, some people actually see a blind spot that have star guards, and some people don't. Um, there's a disease called macular degeneration that also acts very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so this blind spot I have actually looks sort of like a planet right in the center of my face. Like it's blue, it's white, it's got this haze around it. It's um, it's very interesting. Its name is Frank. I named it Frank <laughs> named a long it Frank. time ago. Yeah, because I've been told I'm a very blunt person and uh, I always just thought, well, it's the blind spot makes me very frank. And I'm like, that's Frank. So Frank's my friend. Frank has no gender, though. The, the planet Frank. Planet Frank. Planet Frank. Oh, I so live there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so this pendant, uh, if you hold much like the, and like I said before, the analogy with holding your fist up to your face, mm-hmm. if you hold the pendant up to your eye, it will give you uh, the most accurate idea uh, and conception of how I see. So it looks like my blind spot um, in a linear fashion. So it's, um, it's, it's about three millimeters thick. Uh, it's about the size of a toonie. And it has um, little circles punched into it to represent areas where um, there is light coming through. So it's got, it sort of has translucent areas. And then the rest of it is solid. And that represents where the blues and reds uh, appear. And what's what's the pendant made out of? Right now, it's made out of silver, but I'm looking oh, cool. at yeah, I'm getting it, looking at getting it maybe uh, 3D printed um, because silver is uh, it's a little fancy. That's <laughs> not everybody wants to wear fancy. That's <laughs> uh, when you're making that Oprah money. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, not today. <laughs> um, so so you did this, you. Uh, you pretty much survived as an artist kind of making money for yourself for a while, right? Yeah. So 
So I started started at the bottom. Um, I would enter into any art show I could as uh, an emerging artist. Um, I didn't actually go to art school till I was 25. And, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of difficulty getting into art school because I didn't have a portfolio from when I was in high school. Um, so, you know, my my arts education came from being self-educated, uh, you know, learning about artists that I could actually visually understand sure. or conceptually understand. I spent a lot of time in the theory of art, like almost from a scientific standpoint. I was more interested in the science of making color. What's color? How does the eye work? How do we perceive light? And I, I, I was interested because that is how I perceived the world. And uh, how I made money was basically showing people what the world looked like to me without any uh, explanation. And so for most of the time, people are like, wow, that's a really emotional piece. And it would be of my blind spot. And I just thought, oh, they have no idea. That's fascinating. Um, Yeah, when I got through, you know, art school was an interesting experience. But the minute I graduated, I started applying for public art installations. Uh, how did how did you do that? I'm from Hamilton, and uh, you know Hamilton's a very fun, very close community. Right. Uh, lots of opportunity, and when you're in the arts community, you you hear that there are opportunities coming up. And I heard that there were public art installations, and I was taking a community and public arts um, certificate program. And so I heard when I caught wind of this, and I thought. Uh, why not? I got nothing to lose. And it was also an opportunity for me to show people with the environment how I functioned in the environment. But at the same time, I could take my function and I could apply it to community messaging. So there was this really, really really great opportunity that I thought to really use myself as a tool for community and to help community either, um, you know, connect to one one another or be able to help tell each other's stories because I love using art for storytelling. So out of the three commissions in Hamilton that were first put out through the uh, RFP process, so sure. I won two of the commissions. I worked with a team. Um, but, okay. you know, to be honest, it's it's just sort of about keeping your, your ears open and uh, staying, staying connected to the industry that you want to become a part of. So were you applying for were you applying for grants uh, to to do these projects or like how did you how did you go about funding yourself and feeding yourself as an artist? Yeah. So the the first thing I did was um, I was selling my student work, which is a big no no apparently. Um, but if somebody liked a painting, I was why? not going to why not to... why is that a big no no? Uh so so I'm not in the field of academia, okay. uh, but I'm going to guess you need that work to be graded. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I see. So um, the other thing, too, is professionally. So it, there's all these different guidelines as to, you know, what an artist's career looks like. And when you are in school, that work is not really considered your professional work within the fine arts disciplines. I see, I see, okay. Um, but, like, I'll be honest, I wasn't too concerned about that. I sure. needed to pay bills. Um, I was also expecting my first child. Ah, uh-huh. uh, So I wasn't going to say no to money. But, yeah, my my after I had my first son, uh, I went back to school to complete my education. And uh, that was when I heard about these RFPs. And 
that was when I was on because I found out you need money to make money. Sure. So I started to go on the hunt to fund myself. So I went to the, the Ontario Arts Council. I saw online that they had some grants for emerging artists. And I had schoolwork that I wanted to continue doing. So I applied for an emerging artist uh, grant through their visual arts program. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was successful. So I was able to actually um, evolve a school project. It was a field that I was interested in. I was really interested in human connection. Um, So I wanted to make, uh, number one, I wanted to make works accessible. So I wanted to get them online. Because to me, that meant that... Accessibility also meant outreach, and that helped me with my artist fees. It helped me with paying the insurance that I needed to be an artist. It helped me register my business. So I really used that Emerging Artist Grant oh, as cool. a startup loan. When uh, so, so for those who are listening uh, and you're hearing the term RFP, that stands for Request for Proposal. Um, did you undersell yourself? Oh, my gosh. I, I sold a piece of art for 50 cents. Wow. Yeah, I sold my art at my garage sales wow. when I was moving. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I barely even understood uh, that I needed to – I needed there – was, there was cost and then there was the work that I put into it because I didn't think anybody would appreciate my work. Is that common in the arts community? I think so because to the artist, because of because you put your emotional state into the work, sure. you uh, it's priceless. So I, I think what I learned was that there were different types of art. And I learned that because one of my instructors once said to me, you don't want to make commodity art. That's a commodity art. And that was in my last year of school. And I thought, okay, I don't want to make commodity art. I, explain that. What What is commodity art? Something you can sell to the mass population, okay. like an image for a Hallmark card. Got it. Right. Like something people can there's something that can be mass produced. And so I, you were told not to make that. I was told not to make that because I was in enough fine arts program. Uh, so, you know, and I I think both are important. Sure. Um, fine art is, you know, not affordable to the general public. And I didn't like the fact that there was an exclusivity. Like mm. you're not allowed to appreciate art unless you can afford it. How do you balance? How do you balance those two, though? Because you're. You're on your own. You're, you've got to make money somehow. You're an artist. This is really all you, you're trained to do for your schooling. Uh, you've got a professor telling you not to make stuff that's going to go out there. It's, I mean, it's kind of like being a musician, right? It's, mm. you know, you're, you're out there and you're doing some, I don't know, Radiohead kind of uh, edgy stuff. But, uh, you know, the masses want to hear Britney Spears and, and Shawn Mendes. So how do you balance those two things of, of producing something that's going to make you money and then producing something that is going to, to stay true to you as an artist? So I, I think I learned very, very early on uh, something about myself is that if you don't want me to do something, then tell me to do it. So every time I ever heard the word no in my entire life, I'd go, okay, okay. So you're telling me to do it. You're telling me yes. Okay. So in some situations, that's not okay. (laughs) Right. But in this situation, it's absolutely okay. So what I learned was it's okay. You don't have to identify yourself as, as one category. Like I learned that I don't like categorical thinking. I, right. I I am victim to it as well. But the fact that I had to be one person doing one thing for the rest of my life sounded like a death sentence. Sure. 
also I realized that every event that you have in your life changes your brain, changes your reality. And I think part of the adaptability of having sight loss and having to constantly change the way I perceived people, having to learn to navigate people to either get assistance or to avoid a stigma or, you know, the perception that the world provided me was not the perception that was my personal reality. So I thought, okay, one thing I'm noticing in the fine arts is 1% of the population are making money. So I like the fine arts. I like the function of it. I also like making money. I'm going to do both. So I made commodity products. And then I got an agent for about a year. The agent actually helped me price my work. They were out of New York. I went and found other artist collectives online. So I avoided the entire gallery situation. And I just did everything online. And that was in the early 2000s. Right. When when like very few people were were in that space. Mm -hmm. Um, So you've talked about about making money as an artist. What what did you learn about about business and having to manage your money as an artist? Because I mean, yeah. you know, I can speak from the, you know, from the musician side and the and the live entertainment side is that you know whether you're a DJ or you're you know some gigging musician, um, you know, you'll go and make five hundred five hundred dollars playing a you know a bar gig or something like that, and um, you don't know how to manage your money. You had to learn that pretty quickly. What what do artists need to know about how to manage their money, especially when the income isn't isn't regular? Yeah. So if you are in art school uh, or like just make sure you take a uh, make, make sure you take a small business management course uh, or something on budgets, best business practices, business administration, anything. Just take a business course, even if you hate it, even if you don't understand what's going on. Hmm. Um, just take something to help you understand that there is a credit and a debit. So very simple. That was one of the things I learned. Not going to say I was good at it. Right. Um, Spent lots of money, lost lots of money, made lots of money. So it was very up and down. And uh, like you you pointed out, you know, it's not a constant flow of income. Um, I actually, going back to the granting space, uh, I learned how to manage money for business from the Ontario Arts Council uh, applying for their grants. So I wanted to start an arts education program specifically to provide artists with the ability to access the fine arts or people with sight loss who uh, who had never had the opportunity to access the fine arts. So actually at the Lake Joe camp was the first year we did a program called Meet Joe Art and we got a grant from the Ontario Arts Council, myself, and some other artists uh, who also um, identified as having uh, a barrier of sorts seen by by society. Right. And we um, we took the money. Uh, we had to put a lesson plan together. We had to do a budget, say what we were going to spend the money on, say how we were going to make money. So it, it, as artists, it made us think about the sustainability and the longevity of our programming. What kind of rejection did you have to deal with as an artist, and and how do you pick up and recover from that? Yeah, so there's lots of rejection, <laughs> lots and lots of rejection. Um, I think the biggest rejection that I had to learn very early on was that uh, I could not, I could not put the rejection of art together with the rejection as a human being. 
So those two things had to be very separate. Right. So, you know, the rejection as a human being, uh, what I mean by that is constantly being faced with not belonging to the visual environment because that is something as a visual artist, you know, it's all visual language. It's the visual arts, even though sculpture is a format, and that's that's mainly what I started using, draw, mm-hmm. drawing and sculpture, mm-hmm. uh, is a tactile format. And it always blew my mind that people would create sculptures and you wouldn't be allowed to touch them. So I had to make sure that that didn't mess with business, which is non-emotional. So don't don't mix your emotional state with business. Business is not personal. It's hard, cold facts. You have money. You want to spend that money. And if you want to keep having money, you better figure out how to keep making that money so you can keep spending it. Um, I would say some of the biggest rejections were uh, not getting a business account. Right. <laughs> uh, learning that I would need money to open a business account. Right. Um, people saying no, like putting – I think one of the, the hardest things was putting the proposals together. So you put your blood, sweat, and tears into this proposal to say you're going to have a public art piece or you're going to sure. do a program. And you spend months and you spend money. You have to spend money to do these proposals. You have to say you're insured. Oh, I've done it. Well, they can say no. Yeah, yeah. So you might have spent four months, 10 grand on something that's never going to go anywhere. Wow. Yeah. So the first time that I heard a no was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I am broke. <laughs> I am broke and broken. Mm. Um, but I would say that lasted always about five minutes for me. Um, that could be from ADD or (laughs) it could have just been from always knowing that no one's going to fix this for me. Nobody is going to fix anything for me. Like, this is my life. I better do something with it or, or I don't know. I don't know. What's the other, what are the other options? Live or not live? Yeah. Yeah. You've obviously dealt with, with folks within our community, the sight loss community, is this an attitude you see a lot of people have in, in sort of the artistic space of, you know, dust yourself off and try again? For artists in the sight loss community, um, I haven't really met too many artists that don't have that attitude. Sure. Because it's already built into you that you have to learn to adapt. Yeah. And you already hear no a lot. Yeah. So hearing no is not, it's not the end of the world. Like, you know what disappointment is. Sure. You oh, face sure. it every day, right? Yeah. Um, I I would say for people who have had um, the opportunity to be visual artists and lose their sight later in life, I just have that's got to be really hard. That's got to be really hard. Like I was given the gift of being me and knowing this me from day one. Mm. I I can't imagine what it's like to find a new you. And and know that there is know that there is a you out there that made art in a way based on a certain reality. And now that reality has changed drastically because I I have known artists that have just stopped what they're doing and they won't look back. And I respect that because that means that it's not they're not they're not saying they're not saying, you know, that wasn't important. Um, I think what they're saying is I'm going to open a new door for opportunity. So so being an artist 
is an amazing opportunity because it teaches you problem solving. It teaches you a skill set of being able to deal with rejection and and thinking, just always thinking outside of the box. Like when you're a painter and you look at a canvas, that canvas is a problem. Right. You need to fill that space. Sure. And and often in a, in a in in a short period of time, if you're being commissioned for something, so so yeah, and and that's uh, that affects uh, you know if you've got a commission, you've got a deadline or something like that. I'm, I'm sure that that adds a little bit more constraint. Oh, absolutely, because the deadlines are based on a human being's understanding of their best practices and their function, right? So sure. if there's this generalized sort of you know this should take you this long, and and they're basing it on you know, how a visual artist function or how an artist function, Mm -hmm. are they, I would say in history, we haven't considered what, what is that function and what is that timeline for someone that doesn't do it the way you're supposed to do it, apparently. A couple of rapid fire questions before we let you go. Uh, Favorite app? Oh, (laughs) iHeartRadio. Okay. Um, Favorite artist? Mm, Van Gogh, pretty standard. Okay, favorite uh, favorite medium to work in. Oh, I love uh, acrylic paint. Okay, if uh, you had you could do one major art project, one major public installation, what, what, what would it be? Oh my gosh, it would be projection mapping and uh, a, a domed ecosystem of what the experience is to walk down the street with sight loss. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Want to hear my greatest inspiration? Sure. The yeah. last unicorn. The last unicorn. Yep. Okay. First thing I ever saw. Last thing I ever saw. Best thing I ever saw. Very cool. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Yvonne Felix, thank you. Thank you. That was uh, Yvonne Felix on the Venture Zone podcast. Uh, join us next time when we will have uh, some more great stuff about entrepreneurship and uh, all kinds of great stuff. Uh, My name is Kevin Shaw. For me and Jacqueline Gilmore, we will see you next time. This was the CNIB Foundation Podcast.